Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing? You having trouble falling asleep, getting to sleep, staying asleep? Well, welcome. I hope you're in the right place. I hope this is the podcast that puts you to sleep. Because we called sleep with me. And tonight we're proud to present Game of Drones. The Game of Thrones podcast that's here to try to help you fall asleep. We do it with an episode discussion. And then about a billion tangents roll into many different directions that don't make any, any sense. That's it. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. We're going to do the rest. The podcast is going to create a safe place where you don't have to fight any battles, and you don't have to retreat from any battles. Although, there will be no battling. I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm going to distract you from whatever's running through your brain, whatever holiday-related chatter. What, do I have the right... Did I glaze those cookies the right way or is mother going to be mad? Did I friggin... Did it, do you think I'll digest those Legos or will I have... You know, those kind of questions that go through my mind. Something maybe different goes through your mind, but whatever it is, I hope I can distract you from that. We're going to... Like I said, you're not going to fight those thoughts. You're not going to run from them. Just listen to me. Let those thoughts do their thing. Maybe they'll. Maybe they have their own Christmas tree hidden somewhere. And then once they're distracted, they'll go decorate that tree. Probably a tree of broken dreams and, and you're not good enoughs. And why did you leave the icing out on the counter? The dog ate it. But whatever it is, I'm going to distract you from that. I'll, you Turn on the lights and press play. That's it. If you don't watch Game of Thrones, hopefully you can try this podcast. Hopefully it works for you. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. We have other episodes on Tuesday and Thursday. I hope this podcast works for you. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. Give it a couple tries. See if it does. Uh, I'm trying out chapter marks. Hopefully if you don't like intros, you could just skip ahead two or three times and I'll just be talking about stuff. That's it. I'm glad you're here. We're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com, at Dearest Schooner on Twitter, we're on Facebook, comment on the website, I'd love to hear from you. And most of all, uh, I hope I bore you to sleep, lull you to sleep, dull you to sleep. That's it. All right, thanks for coming. Hey, gods, um, gra- gratitude, SS gratitude, uh, or the um, HMS gratitude, or um, uh, I don't want to call it K-O-K-I-N, gratitude, maybe. I don't know which God, I mean, God, God's in the old, God's in the new. Oh, God. It was something like O-G-A-A-T, oh, God's and the new, old God, O-G-A-N-T-A-T-N or something. Uh, gratitude would be, we just called the gratitude to the gods. How about that? It's the name of our ship, full of gratitude for all that you um, do for me so kindly if through other people, not directly yourselves, clearly. Um, well, but I'm going on the assumption that the nice things people do for the podcast are, hopefully it's not a misassumption. But anyway, God, so we got Chris Post- Posters in on the music. He's got a podcast, sounds like an earful.com. We got Sir Scott and Lady Jennifer. They provided our beautiful artwork. We have the Lord and the Lady of the podcast, uh, you know, ruling 
over the podcast with gentle hands. We have the defenestrator champion, Nick Vancor. God's watching over the Lord and the Lady. We have uh, Divine Misem sending me support. We have, well, God, I don't know how to, I was going to pray to you about this one. Got this wonderful listener, Chris W. Yeah, he wanted to be the uh, official jazz singer of the podcast, and I was waiting for the ticker tape. So just confirm it. I figured this was like, you know, how hard could it be? You know, official jazz singer of the podcast, that's a no-brainer to me. Person that makes a podcast, I said, oh, that'd be great. We have a jazz singer who sang a song this weekend about the podcast, carried off on Wings of Pointlessness. I was looking forward to laying on a, you know, saying, hey, Chris, congratulations. But if I was, but I, you know, I said, well, don't worry. Hold on. Let me just check with the ticker tape. I'm sure. I didn't tell him. I'm, I was like, it's a technicality, basically. And then the ticker tape spits out some stuff. Gods, I don't know how to tell Chris the news. So I'm going to do it uh, passive-aggressively through the prayers. He's not the official jazz singer of the podcast, Gods. The ticker tape has dubbed him the Silver Tone. Chris W., the Silver Tone. Well, I mean, I would add in parentheses of the podcast, but it's kind of like you might, almost like a hero of jazz singing. Uh, I, I Probably better than being the official jazz singer of the podcast, but I know that's what he asked for, and I'm not good at, you know, God's me in human relations. Just rather provide him direct, you know, why complicate things? But then I, you know, get involved with this ticker tape machine. So it Chris W. is now the silver tone of the, po- you know, in parentheses of the podcast. Chris W., the silver tone, uh, providing jazz lyrics and singing and uh, other things. Hopefully we'll find out, but uh, crooning. I would say. So that's uh, God's, that's that. It's, uh, I want to thank Chris for introducing his buddy Faye to the podcast. I want to say hi to Babs and Cat uh, on Twitter. I don't know if that's the same cat as on Facebook, but Cat, catting it up in a good way is Cat on Twitter. Uh, Cheyenne, Lost in Translation, thank you for your support. Clara L. at Emerson, Murphy at Emerson, hopefully you guys meet up. Members of Mafia listeners, but maybe you'll cross paths, maybe not. Hopefully, I don't want to out you any more than that. Got Jennifer, new listener over, Jennifer NW over at uh, Facebook. Jennifer, hello. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. We got a wonderful email from a couple, couple posts, or not emails, those are uh, comments from Jack Steele. Put a comment on our website. Thank you, Jack, for your kind words. I like that, Jack Steele. Jack Steele, podcast commentator, or podcast blog comment maker, Jack Steele. And then, would you believe it or not, gods, we heard from Hagelina herself, Hagelina, and she said she was calling in from Finland or, you know, commenting in, and I'm praying in from Finland, which is, you know, similar to the north, I think, a bit. Hagelina, she almost wrote like a little poetry about she said, the long, dark, uh, the long dark nights have set here in Finland after a hot sauna, a dip in an icy lake, and as the fire embers are fading, it's time to bed down and listen to some Sleep With Me podcast. Still listening with a smile on my face to this addictive podcast. So thank you for Hagelina God's, uh, well, you know, with her babushka, in my mind at least, puttering around you know, with her match selling like a little match girl that can haggle with you in Finland where matches 
are one of the sources of light, for the sun has turned its back on Finland. Come on, Gats, what's up with that? Uh, let's change that up. Let's change, you know, humans were already down here, you know, mucking about with the environment. Why don't you put some sun on Finland, you know, get those people, uh, you know, some vitamin D. But I don't, you know, I'm already causing enough trouble. Uh, I want to thank some uh, uh, reviews for the podcast. Uh, literature professor says, bravely bold, and then Sir Pounce. So the, the literature prof, like Sir Pounce. Kit Kat from Bama, folks. Uh, Kit Kat from Bama, gods. Kit Kat from Bama redid their iTunes review because they had listened to it for the first time and they wrote the review and they're like, I don't know about this podcast, but I'm going to give it a try. I don't know about this podcast, but I'm going to give it a try, see where it goes. And then they followed through and then the podcast put them as working for the uh, Kit Kat. So they redid the review and said, you know what? This podcast does work. It took me, the guy's nuts. But once you accept his, you know, that part, it, it works after that. If you, once you try, you know, once you turn your brain off, I guess people are so used to thinking, God, that, what you know, and then, oh, Big Birdie, God, says Mark approves of the podcast. Thank you, either Big Birdie or Mark, for your support as well. I have got some other emails from Summer and Tisha and Jeremy and, you know, everybody out there. Thank you. So thank you, God. We're just here, all of us. Biding our time till you need us to, uh, well, I guess I'm doing a lot of art of God for you. But, you know, this indirect uh, thanking stuff, it's nice. These people are nice for sure. But again, you know, maybe, you know, more in-person thank you, Maiden, would be nice too. So just think about that. All right. And I'd say the uh, you, you, uh, uh, Godship gratitude. That's it. There you go, God's Godship gratitude. Sailing a way to do your bidding in the best way we know how, which is, you know, we're just doing the best, God, so that's it. My. All right, so we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5. We are uh, halfway through the second season, so uh, Ghost Saharan Hall is the name of the episode. What are the Ghost Saharan Hall? I don't know. It's for wise, you know, if you watch the episode, you rewatch it after you listen to this. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'm sure there's more than one way to think about it. And I'm hoping, you know, I'd love to hear what you think. But the episode opens with this cold wind going across to camp. And then we're in a tent. And the Renly is like, do you swear it? And Kat, Caitlin starts like, by the mother. I swear by the mother. And uh, they're having a little argument. She says she'd have better luck debating the wind. And then right by, right as if listening to her, the wind picks up, swirls around the room, becomes personified, attacks Renly, takes his life as a, 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 a strange form, shadow form. Brienne of Tarth says, no, Renly, no. Holds him in his, her arms, I believe. Cat's like, we got to get out of here. They're going to think you did it. These dudes burst in. Brianna says, I didn't do nothing. She fights those dudes. And the cat says, we got, if we got to leave. You can't avenge them if you're dead. They bolt. Next thing we see is like the camp's in, uh, you know, it's going wild. I think it might be the next day because we got Stannis' ships out in the water. 
We got Baelish. At first I thought Baelish was like 86 in it right out of the camp. Like he was going to try to sneak out of there. But then we see him talking to Loris and Marjorie. And Marjorie's like, all right, I think it's Marjorie. She's like, Loris, we got to get out of here. Then Baelish tries to do a little Game of Thrones with them. Loris is, you know, he wants to just go right after Stannis for killing his, his beloved uh, Renly. Baelish says, tell me, Loris, what do you want most in this world? And revenge, of course. Baelish kind of hints that he could provide that for Loris. And we have um, Marjorie, and she says, he, he was a very handsome man. And Baelish is like, yeah, he was. And they kind of talk about what happened. And I'm mean, not the specifics, but the implications. And she says, uh, calling yourself a king does not make you one. And the same goes for a queen. And Baelish says, do you want to be queen? And she says, no, I want to be the queen, motherfucker. Uh, that, that just like a... Uh, Natalie Dormer, we're destroying it. Then we got Cersei doing some day drinking, and she was she was lit, in my expert opinion. She was tanked. And she says, is it killed by whom? And uh, Cersei and her and Tyrion are arguing. And uh, we'll talk about other things. He says, I, I say, I'd say father raised you with too much respect for money. And he says another line, he says, Marcella's so sweet, innocent girl, I don't blame her at all for you. And then, woof, Cersei is so, she, she's, she's so clever with your schemes and your plots. And Tyrion, schemes and plots are the same thing. And they just keep having this word play. She says, uh, the king has begun his uh, prep, siege prep. And he says, specifically, can you tell me? Or can I ask what specifically the king's up to? She says, you can ask specifically or vaguely. The answer will be the same. Oh, boy. Then we got one of those uh, things that rich people ride in. I forget what they're called, Pompadour or something. I'll think of it. You got Lancel and Tyrion talking in there. Nice a contained place for them to, to have a discussion. And Lancel's like, they're going to use wildfire. Tyrion's like, what's Jamie going to say? Perhaps, another, perhaps his own unnatural urges will give him sympathy for yours. And Lancel's just like, oh, I'll do whatever you say, man. I'm kidding. And he says, even torturing you is boring. With words, he means. Boom, we're back at Stannis's camp. Or at the first time we're at Stannis's camp. We got him in Davos. Sir Davos, my buddy. He's trying to be a good guy. He's like, oh, terribly sorry about your brother, your grace. And he says, fools grieve a fool. Which is like... Stannis, man, he is one uh, tough character, and I mean tough as in bread that's been left out for like three weeks in, uh, you know, in your kitchen without any insects or anything to break it up. And then, uh, you know, they're talking about the Red Woman and everything, and uh, Davos, whose role in this series at times, a lot of times, is a truth teller. He says service means telling hard truths. And he says, you were a bannerman for Renly. Or you won all his bannermen. You say, you won all Renly's bannermen. Don't lose them to her. And he's like, I, you should be doing the leading, not this red woman. And then uh, Sansa's like, hard truths cut both ways, Davos. I trust you. You're going to head up the Navy. Davos is like, I'm, I'm usually running away from trouble, not running into it. Then we got Bronn and Tyrion, you know, whew. And uh, he's trying to be like, okay, what are we going to do to beat this Stannis guy? What do we have? 
Peron says, uh, well, we have that mind of yours that you're always talking about. And uh, Tyrion's like, well, I haven't killed anybody with it yet. And then you get this guy up on the Ro- Roman style, or Greek, yeah, Roman style, I'd say. He's giving this outrage speech. He says, uh, the rotten fruit of incense, of incest. And he's talking about this demon monkey advising the king. Tyrion thinks that's pretty funny until he finds out it's him. Then we got Theon smiling, which already, you know, gives me a little bit of fear. Uh, happiness and Tyrion, I mean, uh, happiness and Theon uh, just don't make so. He was like, hey, this is my crew. It's my big, big day. First day of school again with new clothes and suede shoes with the uh, Velcro. I didn't learn that lesson. So this time, you know, I got high waters on or something. I can't remember what happened the next year. Uh, but probably I sat in something on the bus is what happened. Or uh, whatever year you were supposed to stop wearing pants with elastic band, waistband. Uh, that's probably – usually I had high waters. I think I might – I still get a little high water ribbing. But again, that's what they're kind of like brown suede shoes with Velcro high waters. They come in in style for about seven months every decade. So I'll be ready. Or for rain, as that's what it was about to rain. That's what everybody asked still. It's like, dude, that joke's people been using that joke on me for my whole life. Get some and yeah, it is gonna rain. Asshole. Sorry, but um but yeah, so then his crew is not nice to him. But then uh he meets his first mate and his first mate starts putting these crazy ideas in his head about attacking uh towns near uh the north, near uh wherever the hell the, the freaking Starks live Winterfell. Then we have Tywin and his advisors. Arya's listening in, and Tywin is pissed. He's like, "You've been waiting for this Rob Stark to fail. He won't fail." He throws somebody out of there, and then he sees uh, Arya standing, listening. He says, "Girl, where are you from?" She says, "She's from Maidenpool." He busts her, you know, and she's like, "I'm from Barrington in the north." And he says, well, "Okay, well, so what do you think?" She's like, "I think this Rob Stark's great," and the. She says, well, anyone can be killed or something. I don't know. She stares at Tywin. Then she says, anyone can be killed. Oh, and he says, you don't think he could be killed. And she says, anyone can be killed. She's staring at Tywin. He's like, get out of here. And she sees her buddy, the uh, guy that talks about himself in the third person. He says, a girl sees nothing. A boy becomes a girl. A man pays his debts. And he says he's got a, he owes her three lives, basically, for the three lives she saved. Because I think he worships the red god, too, which is true. You know, holy mackerel, it's red, red god. Then we're up in the north. We got the crows marching, looking for the half-hand. So half-hand does his, own, his things in his own time. Then we have Sam. He says, Sam's happy. He's uh, loving life. He says, beautiful, isn't it? Gilly, Gilly would love it here. And then one of his buddies says, nothing is more sickening than a man in love. And then Sam's going through his fists of the first man is thousands of years old, all this history, he's so excited. Like, what do you think they were like, the first men? And John you know, brings it down and he says, I think they were scared. Then we jump back to Tyrion and Wildfire. He's meeting with the... Uh, uh, bronze, like if you piss on wildfire, it burns your cock off. They meet with the pyromancer. He says it melts flesh like tallow. 
They're from the Order of Pyros. Really nice video in the um, HBO Go. I don't know if it's on demand with anything or on the it's probably on the DVDs, but where George R. R. Martin talks all about the pyromancers and the old magics and the new it's it's really good. So you should check that out. Then Tyrion's like uh Tyrion? Yeah. Then Tyrion's like, you know, you're not gonna be making wildfire for my sister anymore. You'll start making it for me. Then we have Khaleesi looking out her window with two of her uh BFFs, I guess, for, for servants and friends. She says, Dracarys, and he, the little dragon cooks the meat. And they're like, oh, so cute, fire-breathing uh, carnivore. Oh, and I didn't know if Dracarys was its name or just the order to uh, cook your meat because, you know, you can't have this thing getting any parasites or anything. And then we had another It Is Known, which I haven't used in a while. I can't remember. They were talking about dresses and who wants what, what you know, people trying to basically Game of Thrones. But over there, they call it the Game of um, the 13 or whatever the hell. And then she says, Zara is our host. You know, wear the dress. You'll look like a princess. She says, she's not a princess. She's a Khaleesi. And then there's this party with all these birds and fancy stuff and some, you know, rich people like, oh, you got to come visit our night market. You got to see the opera. You got to see the friggin' podcast boy. We get into our, we get a lovely um, Game of Thrones, Monty Python moment, slapstick thrown in for good measure where two of the, where two of the Dothraki are arguing over this gold and jeweled peacock that they're planning on stealing. And, and what the best way to steal it is. And Jorah's just trying to then, Khaleesi's like, you're not going to steal it. Don't, this is my pro, you know, she's like, don't embarrass me. What are you guys doing? And then the warlords of Karth come out and they're like, I welcome you. He has her look in this gem. He starts doing ma- magic. He says, come to the house of the undying. And then the guy, Zara says, oh, they drink shade of the evening there. Turns their minds soft and their lips blue. And then we see Sir Jorah with this woman, this masked woman, and she says, oh, hi, Sir Jorah. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do I know you from somewhere? You got a mask on. I don't recognize you. Uh, how do you know me? She's like, you watch over her, Jorah Mormont of Bear Island. And she says, you better watch your back, you know, for dragons are fire made flesh and fire is power. And it's just like a pro tip, you know, anytime someone, a masked person tells you anything, one Believe it, but also don't believe it. Is that, you know, it's use, that's a pretty useful tip, pro tip there. Uh, especially like this masked woman, it's like uh, probably better off sending somebody back to track her. But then yeah, uh, Dothraki might not be good at subtle stuff. But that would have been pretty funny to see those two guys go back, follow the masked woman. Anyway, then we have uh, Brienne and uh, Kat talking about the shadow and whether it looked like Renly or didn't. Then they're talking about their mothers and how they didn't really know their mothers. And Brienne says, uh, I only held him once as he lay dying, which was touching. And Brienne's like, I could serve you, Lady Cat, you know, for a little while. You have a, a, a courage, a woman's kind of courage. And then they swear on different gods, old gods and new to each other. Then we're back in the north, and Rickon, man, he's cracking these nuts. I'd like to I'd crack them with the back of my hand if I was, wasn't was a total gentleman. 
and kind to all people. But, and it's like kind of like uh, brands a little bit too close in age for him to be like, dude, can you cut it out with the crack in the walnuts? I'm trying to, the plebs are here to beg for stuff. And I got to at least act like, then Sir Roderick rolls in and is like, there's trouble at the well or somewhere under attack. It's like, that's probably Theon is what I'm guessing. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, quell that trouble. You know, not what could possibly go wrong. And then it's like, hint, hint. He sees Osha, and the next thing he's like, yeah, I had a dream. This was all flooded by sea. And, uh, you know, that everyone, you know, Sir Roderick was drowned or something. It's like, come on, bro. I thought you, 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 you come on, you, you're going to give me toot into your psychic powers too late or something. Then we're back in the north. We meet this half-hand. He sees a fire out in the distance that no one else can see. He says, that's the wildlings. They're getting ready to deal with this man's raider. He's their king. He is like, we can't just go over there. They'll be waiting for us. We need to be more like them. We need to sneak in there. John's like, I want to be in. I'm in. And we start to see this slow change in John uh, that's begun. And I mean, I'm not talking about hair anywhere. I'm talking about... I don't know. I, he's just this character that's uh, he's maturing and growing, actually. And uh, this is probably like where he goes from being ornery. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see where it unfolds. I don't want to ruin it. Then we go back to uh, Khaleesi, and this lady's like, Hey, how long has your manservant been in love with you? She's like, Whoa, 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 in love with me? She's like, Yeah, it's pretty obvious he's in love with you. And then, oh, maybe it was Zara. Not, I guess that was Zara that said that. And he's like, well, what do you want? She's like, I want to cross the narrow sea and kick some ass. Shows her this vault of Valerian steel. He's like, I'll give you half what's in here if you marry me. I come from nothing. I work my way up to become one of these 13. And Khaleesi's like, huh? He's like, I could buy his ships. And she's like, oh, I don't know. Then we have uh, Jor and the Khaleesi arguing about how to move, how, what's the next move. And he's like, Khaleesi, you need to be similar to uh, Davos. And they both have similar roles. Jorah and Davos are different, but they have to be tell these hard truths and believe in someone. Well, I don't know what anybody, I mean, I, Khaleesi, I believe in. Stannis, oh boy, I don't know what Davos sees in him, that guy. But anyway... Uh, is like, you know, Khaleesi, I want you to be the leader. You're the leader, not this rich guy. You can do it yourself with one ship. You don't need his money. And she's kind of like still like a little freaked out. Like, is this guy in love with me? Is he, is he being going through my uh, private stuff? And is, is Sir Jorah weird or is he actually? And she's like, well, what do you want? And he's like, I want to see you on the Orient Throne. And she's like, why? Because you love me? I mean, she doesn't say that, but she says, why? And he's like, well, you're, you know, a great leader, blah, 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 tough. And he says, you have a gentle heart. And then there's there's a slip here, but you don't know if it's like a, I don't know. It was beautiful, though. He says, there are times I look at you and I still can't believe you're real. Um, and it's like, you can't tell if he's talking about her as a leader and her potential or as a woman he's in love with, or both, probably both, I guess, maybe, I don't know. And she says, well, what did you have me do? And he says, make your own way. 
And then we go back to Aria, and I forgot she had told that guy to take out the tickler, one of the guy's uh, mountain's henchmen, and she's, like, helping uh, uh, whatever, King Robert's half-son learn how to sword fight, and then the tickler falls, and he's and he's tickled out. And then she sees her buddy up there, and he does, he points at one of his one eye or something, which I liked. And that's the uh, end of the episode, I believe. So that's... Uh, Ghosts of Harrenhal. All right, so uh, what, another thing about the smoke, uh, the shadow. One thing about the shadow that uh, came in Renly's room is it reminded me of Smoke Monster from Lost. And then other smoke, like I, I'm, I was obsessed for a long time with nanotechnology. And there's some good books about it. I think Snow Crash was the best book. Uh, and then there was Michael Crichton's Prey. Uh, which was a book about nanotechnology and nanobots. And, uh, it, you know, they're like little and dust-like and some can, like, kind of like the smoke monster. It may, at, at some point I thought it was nanobots, but it might have been something else. I can't remember how, like, I think it lost ended up being the spirit of that guy. So I don't know if it was nanobots. But, you know, that's like one some some people think that nanobots could like take some sort of shadow like form to communicate with us as some fictional versions. So I reached out to our glittering researcher, Stacy, to find out more about nanotechnology. And here's what she emailed me uh, in mostly in Stacy's words. Uh, Stacy says there's a failure to match the pace of nanotechnology with eth- ethical consideration of reuse. <laughs> With ethical consideration of its use, the ethical issues fall into the area of equity, privacy, security, environment, and metaphysical questions concerning human-machine interactions. Following is taken from Minuswala, M-N-Y-U-S-I-W-A-L-L-A, from 2003, Mind the Gap, Science and Ethics in Technology, Nanotechnology, and NT that uses a, a, a short for nanotechnology. Uh, equity, who will benefit from the advances in nanotech? Today we talk of the digital divide as something that is harmful and that we should attempt to correct. We have also talked about this emerging genomics divide in a similar fashion. This is because we have come to understand that technology and development are intricately, intricately linked and that what is at first appears to be very high-tech and costly and therefore perhaps irrelevant for developing countries in the end might come to be most valuable for those same developing countries. Thus, nanotech, if it were developed the way it ought, might ultimately be of most valuable for the poor and sick in the developing world. At the Johannesburg Summit, the main issues for developing countries were poverty reduction, energy, water, health, and biodiversity. Nanotech has a potential to make a positive impact on all of these if its risks either do not materialize or are appropriately managed. The poor could benefit the poor could benefit from nanotech, for example, through safer drug delivery, lower needs for energy, cleaner energy production, and environmental remediation. It is also possible that health could be improved by better prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. One of the biggest health problems in developing countries is trauma especially road traffic accidents and the absence of rehabilitation facilities, better nanomaterials for making safer tires, 
uh, or nanotech scaffolds to grow bones may be extremely important, especially if the promise of mass production at very low cost materializes. Furthermore, if developing countries were to see the potential of nanotech and become early players in the field, see China's increased expenditure on nanotech, NT might have an impact on economic development and obviate the need quite soon for these countries to become net importers of nanotech. This is similar to what's happening in biotech, a field which in countries such as India, China, Brazil, Cuba have already begun to invest in. Privacy and security is the next issue. Nanotech is capable of dramatically improving surveillance devices producing new weapons. How would individual privacy be protected if near-invisible cameras, microphones, and traffic, traffic, tracking devices were, became widely available or were in their pockets? That's my... Will these new technologies increase security or add to the arsenal of bio and technical and or even nanoterrorism? Who will regulate the direction of research in defensive and offensive military nanotech? That's like a snow crash. I think a snow crash is about that. Maybe prey. I probably read some other nanotech sci-fi, but I can't remember right now. Oh, um, a wonderful book, um, Wool. Has a nanotech in it too. Read, read that book. Well, Hugh How How Howley. I'll look up his name. I'll be in the show notes. And that's uh, for all ages. Uh, I, I would say. I mean, thirteen and up. How much transparency will be necessary in government and private nanotech initiatives to avoid misuses? There are also very interesting legal questions involving mentor, monitoring, ownership, and control of invisible objects. The next asbestos, environmental issues. Nanotech has already generated novel types of matter such as fullerenes and carbon nanotubes. Where do these other nanomaterials go when they enter the environment and what are their effects? This is one of the things that concerns me. Something smaller than a freaking atom. This year, well, I don't know if you can be smaller than Adam. I don't know what I'm talking about. But this year, the U.S. the EPA has added funding of research projects that explore potential environmental dangers of nanotech to its list of priorities. Uh, my words, which it'll never get around to. There are always possibilities for environmental or health harms, says Barbara Carn, EPA official, human or machine. Some avenues of research in nanotech include the incorporation of artificial materials or machines in human systems and is beginning to happen with implanted computer chips. The modification of living systems is met with great skepticism by much of society. How acceptable will nanotech technologies be, such as implantable cells and sensors for the general population? What are its implications and what are our limits? And I'll have that all in the show notes. A couple more things from Stacy here. Uh, a lot of the most more recent nano stuff, tech stuff, has centered around it using it to treat cancer. For example, from Christ and others, 2014, common pitfalls in nanotechnology, lessons learned from NCI's Nanotechnology Characterization Laboratory. The promise of cancer nanotechnology and increased treatment FF. The promise of cancer nanotechnology increased treatment efficacy with decreased toxicities and side effects has triggered a huge interest in the field and an outpouring of research project aims at generating the newest and most cutting-edge therapies. Unfortunately, the science behind nanotechnology is not always as straightforward as for small molecules. 
and researchers are still learning more about the intricacies of nanoscience every day. The National Cancer Institute Nanotechnology Characterization Laboratory, founded in 2004, spent the last eight years studying nanomaterials of all type and their related complexities to increase understanding and educate nano-researchers worldwide in efforts towards developing better and more efficient therapies. And that article will be in the show notes. Here's one more to lay on your sweet little ears. Uh, another modern application of nanotechnology is water and wastewater from QUQ 2013, providing clean and affordable water to meet human needs. Providing clean and affordable water to meet human needs is a grand challenge of the 21st century. Worldwide, water supply struggles to keep up with fast-growing demand, which is exacerbated by exasper, which is exacerbated by population growth, climate, global climate change, and water quality deterioration. The need for technology, technological innovation to enable integrated water management cannot be overstated. Nanotechnology holds great potential in advancing water and wastewater treatment to improve treatment efficiency, as well as to augment water supply through the safe use of unconventional water sources. Here, we review recent type development in nanotechnology for water and wastewater treatment. The discussion covers candidate nanomaterials, properties, and mechanisms that enable the application's advantages and limitations as compared to the existing processes and barriers and research needs for commercialization by tracing these nano these techno by tracing these technological advances to the phys- physiochemical properties of nanomaterials the present review outlines opportunities and limitations to further capitalize on these unique properties for, for sustainable water management and if you want to capitalize that on that it'll be in the show notes all right, one of the, my favorite Game of Thrones characters that we're going to learn about is this guy uh, that Arya's met who has made this commitment to help Arya in some, some way or another. And he kind of likes to talk, a man, a man likes to talk about himself in the third person. So I emailed our glittering researcher, Stacy, to say, what's up with this uh, phenomenon of people talking about? Is this a mental illness? Tell me more of what, what you can find out. So this is Stacy's research into uh, a man who talks about himself. And, and you know, everybody knows the Seinfeld Jimmy stuff. Uh, so let's see what Stacy has to say about it. It appears to be the case that speaking of oneself in the third person, iliism is not so much a sign of mental illness as it is a rhetorical device in literature to illustrate either grandeur, the king requests an audience, or submiss- submissiveness. Uh, the servant deserves to be punished. So I talked about a bunch of other stuff related to third person. Davidson, 1983, reports that third person effect hypothesis predicts that people will tend to overestimate the influence of influence that mass communications have on the be- behavior of others. More specifically, individuals who are members of an audience that is exposed to a pervasive persuasive communication whether or not this communication is intended to be persuasive, will expect the communication to have a greater effect than on others than on themselves. Uh, and whether or not these individuals are among the ostensible audience for the message, the impact that they expect this communication to have on others 
may lead them to take some action. Any effect that the communication achieves may thus be due not to the reaction of the ostensible audience, but rather the behavior of those who anticipate or think they perceive some reaction on the part of others. I don't know if that has to do with this podcast or not, but uh, next one quotes, The History of Psychological Warfare Division, Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force, Bad Hamburg, Germany, 1945, tells us that tells us about Operation Huguenot, a project for undermining the efficiency of the German Air Force by suggesting that German flying personnel were deserting in their machines to the Allied side. Planting such suggestions was not difficult. It was known that Allied radio broadcasts were systemically were systematically monitored by the German government and that monitoring reports were distributed to all high political and military officials. Hints about desertions from the Luftwaffe could include, for example, a slip by an announcer indicating that a plane officially reported a shot down had in fact landed safely in England. It could be assumed that at least one, some of these hints would be picked up by alert radio monitors in Berlin. The Psychological Warfare Division history tells us the dividends from this operation were expected not so much in their actual were expected not so much in their actual number of diversions as in the effect of countermeasures where the German authorities would be induced to take against flying personnel, sharpening up of anti-desertion measures and instructions to field police to keep a suspicious eye on everyone, a course which would have serious effects on morale. Also, the promotion of officers on the account of reliability rather than efficiency. That's interesting. Wow. Okay, next up. The ability to speak in the third person typically means referring to others performing actions outside the self. This typically requires a theory of mind, quote, that was quote, which, quote, the ability to attribute mental states, beliefs, intents, desires, pretending knowledge, etc., to oneself and others and to understand that others have a beliefs, desires, and intentions that are different from one's own, Wikipedia. That's where that quote's from, end quote. So, <laughs> a theory of mind is something that naturally occurs in almost all people. As children, we come to the understanding that other people have their own unique, have their own unique perspectives separate from our own. The inability to put oneself into the shoes of another is an important warning sign of a variety of mental illnesses. Premack and Woodruff, 1978, defined theory of mind as the ability to impute mental states to oneself and to others. The ability to make inferences about what other people believe, in caps, to be the case in a given situation allows one to predict what they will do. This is clearly a crucial component of social skills. There is growing evidence for the ability to attribute mental states to others and its development from the second year of life onwards. The procedure for determining whether children exhibit theory of mind is in the following story. There are two dial protagonists, Sally and Annie. Sally first placed a marble into her basket, then she left the scene and the marble was transferred by Annie and hidden in a box. Then, when Sally returned, the experimenter asks the critical belief question, where will Sally look for the marble? If the children point to the previous location of the marble, then they pass the belief question by appreciating the doll, doll's now false belief. If, however, they point to the marble's current location, 
They fail the question by not taking into account the doll's belief. Autistic ch children tend to fail this question, indicating a specific cognitive deficit that is likely unrelated to general intelligence. Interesting. A substantial body of research has highlighted the evolution of theory of mind in non-human primates, its emergence during the human autogeny, and impaired theory of mind in a variety of neuropsychiatric disorders, including schizophrenia. There is good empirical evidence that theory of mind is specifically impaired in schizophrenia and many psychotic symptoms, for example, delusions of alien control and persecution, presence of thought language and disorganization and other behavioral symptoms may best be understood in light of a disturbed, disturbed capacity and patience to relate their own intentions to executing behavior and to monitoring others' intentions. However, it is still under debate how an impaired theory of mind in schizophrenia is associated with other aspects of cognition and how impairment fluctuates with acuity or chronicity of the schizophrenic disorder, and how this affects patients' use of language and social behavior. That's from Brune, 2005, Theory of Mind and Schizophrenia, a review of the literature. So that'll all be in the show notes. Thank you to Stacy, our glittering researcher. Hey, guys, I don't know who's going to be awake for this segment or not, but uh, if you're awake, I'm sorry, first off. Um, but I was thinking there's uh, something about this episode that I can't remember what it was. I guess maybe passing of Renly and then the tickler you know Renly was going to be missed by uh, Loris kind of by Marjorie it was more people's reactions Brienne of Tarth's and and Stannis's reactions to Renly's death uh get me thinking at the end of season four I did an episode about the uh types of love in Game of Thrones because yeah, that was kind of love season and I was like um that's when the whole Cat Stevens stuff came up with uh, it was weird because then I listened, uh, it feels like yesterday, but it was season four, which would have been like 20 weeks ago or something like that. Um, really? Wow. But I was listening to Cat Stevens, just random songs that I had in uh, somewhere, some folder somewhere, you know, uh, on the internet that my phone could reach while I was riding my bike in San Francisco. And I was like, these songs are really could be written about season four of Game of Thrones, and that's when the whole stuff came up and I was like caught Cat Stevens in Westeros with another fantasy fiction machine. But what's my point? And my point has nothing to do with that. That was a tangent, and I apologize. So I was thinking this season, in recent in seasons, every season, think about grief. There's types of grief. I know uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has the uh, stages of grief. She's the most... Um, prominent person that has stages of grief. I'm sure there's other people. I didn't do any research. I'll talk to Stacy. Um, but actually, more than um, I was thinking, what are the stages of grief or the types of grief? In Westeros, I thought it might be fun if anybody thinks of an example like this person and this was the type of grief. Uh, you know, email it, put it somewhere publicly, or I'll put it out on Twitter or Facebook or email to me, and let's make a game of it, call it like a GOT grief or something. Uh, but I just like was uh, pulling around because I was like, uh, a lot of times it's a reaction is vengeance, but then I started taking notes on the bus. I was like, okay, so we have uh, Ned. Cat's kind of reaction was his wife was sorrow, but I'm like, eh, what else was it? And then Aria, 
she is a vengeance, but like a vengeance that needs to be nurtured. So some sort of uh, vengeance with potential, I don't know, or, or like a seed of vengeance, I guess, was planted in her. Then he had Sansa. Uh, these are just initial impressions, but like some sort of powerlessness. But that's a, a powerlessness is a growth opportunity, which kind of happens uh, to real people in some sense sometimes. Uh, or or power, like something that's, you know, another seed almost. Huh. Then we have Rob, kind of like manhood thrust upon him by the grief uh, or John and Joff, similar. Uh, then we had Bran, there's duty kind of thrust upon him. Is that his grief is do your duty? Okay, I'm just going to do my duty, which Bran kind of does without complaining. Then you have Rickon. And this also probably applies to um, Tommen and, and Masella, but forgotten. It, uh, your grief's not important. No one cares kind of grief. Uh, like, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and Rickon's reaction is, well, maybe someone will notice me if I crack these nuts in the most annoying manner possible during a big business meeting. I'm just going to be here cracking these nuts and e being irritating. Uh, until someone and no one still noticed. They say, "Hey, can you stop with the nuts?" Not. Oh, excuse me, Rickon. Are you suffering from any grief from? And your mother left, and uh, you, you're sad, and uh, you're just a boy. Uh, but it's like, no, no, no. You're. So those are. Uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, Stannis. Uh, his grief is that it confirms that I never loved you in the first place. That's a pretty common one, I think. Oh, you died. Huh, my grief. Oh, wait, I never loved you. I always disliked you. You were, you know, he wasn't my, we didn't love each other. He wasn't my brother. Has this thing, or fools grieve a fool. Oh, other, uh, Rob, other children of Roberts, like, uh, the tall guy, the good looking guy that hangs out the Aria is, uh, wait, wait, uh, that's, wait, who, that was who my dad was? Um, John Aaron, uh, season one. His death was like, everybody was like, John Aaron was the best. Oh, that John Aaron, we loved him. He's so great, you know. And so everybody loved John Aaron. And then, but then if you go to it, like if you, what if you were like, oh, that John Aaron. And then you go back to his town where he lived and meet his, his kid and his wife. You're like, wait a second. Wait, the, John Aaron was married to you? You're John Aaron's son? Oh, it puts everything, it's like, holy crap, what the heck was wrong with John Aaron? Wait, the same John Aaron, J the J O N Aaron. Wait, you you're John Aaron's wait, you're John Aaron's wife, the one breastfeeding her fourteen year old. Oh boy, uh, maybe John Aaron. Maybe there wasn't something. Uh, maybe oh wait, John Aaron was he great? So just another kind of grief. And then um, I had other ones. I didn't. I was like the dragon. That would be interesting. Khaleesi's reaction to Cal Drogo's it was a grief. Um, I can't quite put words into it because it's so beautiful in some sense, but it's like a, a thankfulness that, and, and this might be offensive to some people, I'm sorry, but it's like that, that his, uh, that his power is like, uh, his alpha male or his animal sexual energy awoke something with the, deep within her, stirred something. And, uh, it seems like Khaleesi almost reflects on that love. It's like he's gone but she has taken something from Khal Drogo uh, in some sense, not, not something, it's awoken something deep within her. 
um, as a woman, a strong, strong woman. Uh, I don't know, like the feminine and the masculine. I don't know too much about those parts of the psyche, but that uh, it stirred her, her powerful feminine power, uh, which we'll see play out in wonderful ways, uh, potentially, if you know, not spoiler alert. So those are some, so, and that would be a nice form of grief, I guess, if you're thinking of grief. Nicest forms, Sansa's, it, it's like, okay, you're going to, this is a grief will be good for you. Rickon, that's, you know, uh, Bran, yeah, you're doing your duty. It's not great, but you're doing it. Uh, Rob, John, Joff, it's like, depends on the, how the person reacts to being thrust into manhood or role. Uh, Cat makes the best of a bad situation. Maybe that's her grief, uh, sorrow, tinged. Vengeance, we got a lot of vengeance in this one. And uh, Stannis's would be my favorite. Oh, I just never loved you. You know, we can just see him. If he was at, he would be that kind of person at a wake. It'd be that one lull in the conversation. He'd be like, you know, anybody else think this guy was a jerk? Or or if it was John Aaron's wake, and it was a, from Irish Catholic background, so we have these big wakes, um, semi-festive. But uh, you know, you, you always you you do get someone like that, and like uh, it'd be John. Everybody'd be like, "Oh, John Aaron, let's toast John Aaron again." It'd be it'd be Stannis would be the one. Have you met his wife and his kid? She she's breastfeeding him in the other room. He's twelve. She's bread. Easy. So uh, sorry about uh, sorry about that. I got cut off. But so that's just thinking that uh, was, you know, that'd be just funny if anybody can think any other stages of grief people suffer from in Westeros. All right, so uh, whatever. Uh, my dogs start barking. That's why I'm kind of distracted. It's uh, like uh, later in the evening right now, uh, but no no danger, just a uh, dog barking for no reason, which uh, uh, is a, a form of uh, direwolf grief. Direwolf's had grief too, so that's another idea. All right, thanks. So one thing with the uh, with Renly being um, taken out by the shadow creature, which was birthed by the Red Woman in the episode before, but it was like uh, thinking because he was near the mirror, and uh, Brienne of Tarth was like, "It looked like Renly," or and I was like, "Is this like reminding me?" I was like, "Isn't there a song me and my shadow strolling down the avenue?" So I started looking into that song, and then I was like, "Wait a second. Is this song like is this song like 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 offensive? Is this a racial song, or like some sort of racist camp? And I, I and I and I was like, oh, let me dig into. This. Is there going to be any good articles explaining the history of this song? Which I didn't find any, but I don't know the idea. But of Frank Sinatra singing with Sammy Davis Jr. just sticks out to me, like of like. Uh, is this from a time when people were less aware of what could be hurtful? I don't know. But so this is what's on uh, Wikipedia, which is, so instead of leading me there, like I look at the lyrics, I'm like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this because I don't know how funny this is. And it, it just seems hurtful and, it, and it's bedtime. I don't, even if it's not hurtful, I don't want to risk it for anybody. Um, so the, that's why, but it read, led me down another road. So let's re- look at the Wikipedia article and where it took me. So me and my shadow, 
was a 1927 popular song originally credited by Al Jolson, Billy Rose, and Dave Dreyer. In fact, Billy Rose was exclusively a lyricist, Dreyer a composer, and Jolson a performer who was often given credit credit so he could earn some more money. So the actual appointment of the credits was likely due to the music by Dyer, lyrics by Rose, and some contribution by Jolson, but they don't have any footnotes there. Song has become a standard with many artists performing it. There's a ton of different versions out there. It was actually in Time Bandits. It's performed in Terry, Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits for Napoleon, um, which I've, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. It was in Dick Van Dyke. It was in Maud, uh, which I'm uh, Rick Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Rip Taylor sang it with Crystal. Rip Taylor sang it with Christopher Knight. It was using Carnival. It was sung by Stroud and Brother Justin. Is parodied in the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo episode "Me and My Shadow Demon." And uh, it was included on the soundtrack, Scooby-Doo Snack Tracks, The Ultimate Collection. So maybe I'll find that version. But the version we're going to talk about was performed by Pardon Me Pete the Groundhog, voiced by Buddy Hackett, in, with all the irony, because I had no intention, a Christmas special, 1979, Rankin-Bass, television special, Jack Frost. And we're going to go right into that Wikipedia article as smooth as the transition can be for a possible freaking racist time bomb with this song. Uh, but Jack Frost is a stop-motion animated television special that premiered on NBC December thirteenth, 1979. Um, it was directed by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. and written by Romeo Mueller. A special tells the tale of Jack Frost, the winter sprite, and his adventures as a human. It uh, airs on the ABC Family Network as part of its Christmas block. So, spoiler alert, I'll be talking about it. Hopefully you're asleep. But if you're not, uh, we're going to run through the plot. Anyway, just uh, because I don't remember it. uh, uh, The plot, the story is narrated by our groundhog named Pardon Me Pete, who is voiced by the lovely Buddy Hackett has a deal with Jack Frost to extend winter by six weeks, letting him sleep that much longer. Jack Frost, voiced by Robert Morris, the immortal winter sprite, falls in love with a human girl, Elisa, or Elsa, Elisa, I think, voiced by Deborah Klinger, after rescuing her. Jack asks Father Winter, voiced by the, I mean, the lovely, lovely Paul Freese. Oh, man, Paul Freese's voice. Uh if he can become human in order to be with her. The wave that Jack took was about a day to do what Father Winter gives him the chance, but warns that Jack must prove he can succeed as a human by earning a house, a horse, a bag of gold, and a wife by the first sign of spring. I don't remember this movie at all. Jack agrees, turns human, assuming the identity of Jack Snip. He runs a tailor shop in January Junction, it was takes place after Christmas is why, with two friends who also turned human, Snip the Snowflake Maker, voiced by Don Messick, and Holly the Snow Gypsy, voiced by Dino Lynn. Snip and Holly were sent by Father Winter to ensure Jack does not get in trouble. Elise is charmed by Jack Snip, but she harbors romantic dreams of Sir Ravenel Wrightfellow, a knight in golden armor. 
Elsa's then kidnapped by Kubla Cross, the Cossack king who lives alone in a castle on miserable ar army with his evil army of Kenites, a menacing iron horse named Clang Stomper, and his butler, this is like an episode of this podcast, Fetch Kvetch, and a ventriloquist dummy named Dummy, and his sidekick all made of iron, since nobody could stand to live with Krauss due to his arrogance and greed. Maybe Rankin and Bass are my parents, or Romeo Mueller. Maybe I was, maybe Jack Frost is, who knows. Krauss also possesses all the brick, gold, and timber that January Junction used to have. See, he has a jerk. He uh, immediately notices El Elisa for her beauty and madly wants her to be his wife. After Elisa is rescued by Saravanal, Kraus vows to destroy January Junction by sending 1,000 key knights in to recapture his bride. He throws Jack, Snip, and Holly in the dungeon. Jack gives up his humanity, like a hero does, in order to whip up the biggest blizzard ever, freeing Kraus and his freezing Freezing Krauss and his 1,000 key knights in the castle. Snip and Holly change back to sprites as well. The tactic works until Groundhog Day arrives. As the sky is overcast with no sun to cast shadows, Jack uses his magic shadow to scare, pardon me, Pete back into hibernation and continues whipping up the storm. Finally, with one hour left before the arrival of spring, Jack returns to human form to stop Krauss. Afterwards, he claims a gold, tames, clang stopper, makes him his horse, and the castle becomes his house. He races off to ask Elsa's papa for a hand in marriage, but during his absence, oh no, she has fallen in love with Sir Ravenel and, his wit and he with her. Jack, poor Jack, becomes a sprite again for good and blows ice into Elisa's wedding bouquet, turning it white. When asked about the change, she sheds a tear, saying an old friend just kissed the bride. Well, that's snip. No wonder I've never seen this. It's depressing. Again, like the spike is. Snip calls out to Jack that winter wouldn't be the same without him. Before heading back to sleep, pardon me, Pete says that Jack Frost still plays his tricks on him to ensure there are six more weeks of winter. But he doesn't mind because he enjoys the extra sleep. Wow, Jack Frost, I'm sorry. I never realized you had it so rough. Um, but heartbreak. Heartbreak for Jack Frost. This just in in the Winter Wonderland Network. All right, so that's um, it's me and my shadow. We tried to um, segue into a winter special that ended up not having any Christmas joy in it. So I guess I blew it um, by not, by avoiding controversy. I went to tra ended in tragedy. So what are you going to do? So uh, one thing was the Tickler was the name of the mountains, one of the mountains guys that didn't make it to the end of this episode, the Tickler. And I was like, that's an interesting, very good name. He was their, um, their torturer, basically, I believe. He extracted information. And pretty good name for a torturer, very tongue-in-cheek. But the tickler makes me think of something. I mean, obviously, it could bring up a lot of things for a lot of different people. And normal people might think of normal stuff, but, you know, me. Now, anyone that's spent a lot of time in men's rest, seedy men's restrooms, as I have, spent a lot of time in seedy restrooms. And I don't know if this is in other countries or just in America, but especially divey bars or... 
um, bars that wouldn't be classified as more dumps is where I prefer. I'm like pre before bars that back. This is you know back in the day, um, and by the day I mean like 360 days. <laughs> but anyway, if in bars or also in um, rest rest areas, probably if you're in the men's room. There's usually a machine, and maybe this might this might be news to people like that. Either live a good life without uh, diving into these territories, or women. I don't know if women. I assume. Uh, I guess I don't want to assume anything. But usually, there's a machine, and and these right, and it's got to be your restrooms got to have a certain level of dinge or uh, dingy clientele like myself to have this machine. But usually, they'll have a machine that you can put money in, and it'll distribute condoms. But not normal condoms and uh, um, adult material, usually in a tiny, like package. Um, and usually, it's like if it's a nice, a nice machine. And by nice, I mean uh, works and has selection. It would have like two kinds of condoms and then one type of porn or graphic material. Uh, wives, don't worry about letting your husbands. It's not, it's not not good pornographic material, from if my memory serves. So you don't got to worry about your husband going in there and looking at any nonsense. And there's no previews. So, but usually one of the condoms is traditionally called the tickler that I remember. And I'm not I'm not trying to make a joke. That's the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, that's the condom from the bathrooms, the tickler. And it always says it has all these testimonials on the condom advertisement. And guys, dirtbags like me, you know what I'm talking about. So it's like, for her pleasure, you know, rib for her pleasure, not, you know, all these things for her pleasure. Uh, like if you're in this bathroom, you're going to be involved in any sort of pleasure is the irony. But And then usually the other condom is more of like a flavored or a colored condom. Some places just straight condom. Not condoms. Okay. We'll get into the so, – I was thinking the tickler, and then I was like, "Huh, I wonder what the, what what the, I mean." And then I, I was like, "What's the feminist? Do these things really give women any pleasure? And uh, where do these testimonials come from? Where do they get these? Uh, you know, Luralene H twenty six. This kind of blew my mind. Is Luralene real or not? Uh, but so I looked it up, and it was again like a bit of a rabbit hole when you start looking up the tickler condom." Uh, you Google that stuff. Obviously, I'm not worried about, you know, I know I'm being watched, so I'm not too paranoid about incognito browsing or whatever. It's my, you know, I'm non-cognito. But so uh, extracting good um, podcast-level material, there's not the Wikipedia of condoms out there. But so, but there is. Well, in some sense, there is, though, because uh, there's this... Um, Website, and we'll go into the history of this wonderful website and the service it provides. But it's called Go Ask Alice. And uh, so the, I finally I tracked this down. This is from originally published February 16, 2001, last updated and reviewed September 6, 2007. And this is all from Go Alice. Uh, and I, uh, well, I might as well say they've rights right now Columbia.edu. Columbia.edu. It's the property of them. But this question is, Dear Alice, do ribbed condoms affect the pleasures of sex? Question mark. And then Alice responds, Dear Reader, ribbed, studded, and other textured condoms are intended to heighten sexual pleasure. 
Some of these condoms have extras, in quotes, layering the inner surface for the wearer to feel. Others have them covering the exterior for their partner's enjoyment. Plus, condoms are now available as shaped or contoured or have a baggier tip, mainly to increase the wearer's sensation, comfort, and confidence for a better fit so they won't slip off. That was in parentheses. In any case, these condoms have the potential to enhance sensitivity during vaginal or anal sex. For some people, using these specialty condoms during intercourse does increase pleasure. Others may think, in italics, they help boost sensation, and therefore they do. And yet others find the added features too subtle to notice. I will note that, uh, this is my my aside, some of the rabbit holes I did go down, women and um, and men were adamant that it was not pleasant at all and uncomfortable. So that was one perspective that's not here is that a, a, a large portion, I won't say a majority, found these condoms. They said they, they were just a marketing toy ploy and they felt like sandpaper or for from um, the wearer's perspective, they were too uh, – so much was going on that made it hard to feel. But either way, the partner – either partner – there was a lot of complaints, but some people didn't complain like Alice said. Okay, back to Alice. Textured and polyurethane condoms, usually more pricier than your standard sheath, are as effective against both pregnancy and STDs, oh, STIs, sexually transmitted infections, as regular condoms of the same material. Contraceptive technology and other sources affirm that these condoms are effective when used consistently and correctly. Since each individual is turned on by different sensations or thoughts, testing a variety of condoms to find the one that feels good, fits comfortably, and satisfies you and your partner may be helpful and fun too. If you decide to use ribbed or, or other specialty condoms, beware of novelty items. These would be the ones you uh, paraphrase uh, aside. Those would be restroom condoms as novelty. Um, Glow-in-the-dark or other novelty condoms can make great gag gifts but they are not intended to be used for oral, vaginal, or anal sex. One, only one glowing condom, this is actually good information, is uh, FDA approved for pregnancy and STI protection, the Nightlight brand, which actually I think they might sell, that might be the glowing one in the bathrooms. Aside from this one, you're best off leaving novelty condoms for gag gifts and using FDA approved condoms for roll, your rolls in the hay. That's from Alice. Now, there's another great article I'm going to read, but just another aside. It's like no one gives novelty candy, so just don't give gag condoms because – or like a bulletproof – oh, hey, I you got a job as a police officer. Let me give you this gag full bulletproof vest. Uh, don't wear it when you go out, you know. So don't give gag condoms. Just safe bet that if you give a condom – a person's going to get to the point where they're going to use it, just like if you run out, if you're almost out of coffee, and then you find freaking um, Sanka, you're like this. This has got caffeine in it, right? Holy mackerel! So just just an aside from 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 a just a, you know non pro amateur tip, am tip instead of pro tips. I maybe I'm going to start giving am tips. Um. Or pro-am. Well, I'm not at the pro-am level. Am tips. That's good enough. Okay, go ahead. This is from Go Ask Alice. A little more condom information. And nah, this is important stuff. You should be wearing a condom. If there's a penis involved, put a condom on it, all right? Holy moly. I mean, it's, it's that simple. 
I mean, unless you're like both long-term committed monogamous tested relationship, long-term committed monogamous tested relationship with some other form of birth control. But come on, just wear a con. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I understand the resistance, believe me. Okay, this is again from Go Ask Alice. This is from originally January 26, 2001, last updated and reviewed April 3rd, 2014. Dear Alice, my boyfriend and I have recently decided that we'll use condoms and sperm aside for contraceptive purposes. We've begun experimenting with various brands and types of condoms, which has caused concern. Can you explain the various types of condoms and or the advantages, disadvantages of each, each effectiveness, lambskin versus latex versus polyurethane? We are uh, monogamous and primarily concerned with pregnancy prevention. Thanks for the help, condom confusion. Dear condom confusion, as you've noticed, condoms are made from different materials, latex, lambskin, polyurethane, and this is news to me. I'm not even, a new material called polyisoprene. I hope that's been tested on humans. Latex condoms are some of the most widely available and least expensive. The market offers several brands, each coming in a variety of sizes, colors, textures, shapes, and even flavors. Some are already coated with the spermicide, noxidil, noxidil, something, 9N9. This has been found to be inadequate. Additionally, research no longer promotes it as it may facilitate HIV transmission. Polyisoprene, this is, these are the new ones, are the newest condom option on the market. Ideally, for people allergic to latex or polyurethane, polyisoprene condoms have a soft, natural feel that conforms to the skin, similarly to latex. Some claim polyisoprene condoms are more comfortable than latex. You'll have to experiment to find out which brand suits your groove the best. Alice, uh, right now, polyisoprene condoms are sold in the United States by some brands. Polyurethane condoms have been the go-to for people with latex allergies, but even the new polyisoprene condoms, on the mo- even with those ones, polyurethane is a great choice. I'm going to do some um, paraphrasing here. Compared to latex, polyurethane condoms are thinner but stronger, tend to be less constricting fit. Polyurethane condoms also transfer heat more efficiently which some say increases pleasure. Unlike other condoms, the non-litex varieties are available in may, male and female ver- versions. Worn by women, the female con- condom is a nitrile sheath uh, that's inserted into the vagina up to eight hours before intercourse, adding extra water-based lube helps increase comfort and decrease noise. Uh, note, female condoms should not be used together with male condoms. Check out what is a female condom. That'll be in the show notes of these articles in the Go Ask Alice Archive. Both latex and non-latex condoms provide comparable protection against STIs and comparable uh, pregnancy protection. Non-latex are pricier than latex. Lambskin, in contrast, are made from the oldest material on the market, the intestines of a lamb. Small pores make them ineffective against viruses that cause STIs, but they do protect against pregnancy. Since the pores are too small for sperm to pass through, lambskin condoms offer a more natural feel. (laughs) Lambskin condoms supposedly offer a more natural feel. All the verdict is out how they stack up to polyisoprene condoms. All four. I think we've got got everything there. But then you might ask yourself, well, what is this Go Ask Alice? And what's this... And I just think it's like such a nice service. 
uh, to care about the health of your students and health through knowledge. Uh, so Go Ask Alice, this is from Wikipedia. Go Ask Alice is an online Q&A internet resource provided by Columbia University for both students and the general public for both students and the general public with questions or curiosity about health topics. The site has no affiliation with Go Ask Alice by Beatrice Sparks. Go Ask Alice was started in the fall of 1993 at Columbia University's health promotion program, now called Alice. In fall of 94, the website went global. A book called the Go Ask Alice Exclamation Point Book of Answers was published in 1998. Due to the age of many answers and new research and development in the medical field, many answers are being updated. The university uses a continuous review, as we saw, to ensure the accuracy of the content. An updated version of the site, third since it started, was launched in 2012. Includes a Q&A format, but also has, you know, more stuff. Go Ask Alice receives 2,000 questions a week. There are over 3,000 questions and answers in the archives. Questions are organized into six meta-categories with dozens of subcategories. So interesting stuff. Thank you, Columbia University. Thank you, Alice, as a symbol of our um, sexual health and, and physical health, which are closely tied together. And I know some people, I, I mean, I'm not, I, my mom could be listening to this. So, but it's, you know, we got to get, you have to make sure uh, the young people or the adult, old people, this is, you know, STDs or STIs are, have been running rampant in a lot of these retirement communities too, uh, which is like, okay, well, you, you know, I can see they have a little bit different perspective on it, but still. Uh, I, I didn't. I honestly learned something here, so I hope someone else. Because I had no idea about these isoprene uh, condoms. So that's um, hello, everyone. I'm Tommen. You may have heard of me from such tales as uh, "Brave Sir Pounce, Bravest Cat Ever to Live," or uh, you know, if you're a cat and you're listening to this, you might have heard from many of the tales told to cats: the boy who would be the greatest friend, the best friend. The greatest friend in the history of all cats, human friendship, Tommen, the best friend a cat's ever known. I'm going to tell you a tale tonight, believe it or not, a little different, because normally I'm Tommen, and I tell the tales of Sir Pounce, you know, the best friend a boy has ever known, but I, I have a tale here recently occurring, and I'm, you know, I'm not here to brag, because there's so much... You know, not to brag about about Tommen. They call this is shame, 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 Tommen. Shame should be your name. So, anyways, so shame they say. But uh, this tale is the time Tommen saved Sir Pounce, and this was uh, recently within recent times, and Sir Pounce was in the castle between adventures, and he said to himself, uh, I think I'll have some milk. Uh, it's late at night, and I could use some milk, and I could use some warm milk. And uh, he went down, and he had a, a, a young woman who worked in the kitchen, a scullery a scullery person, and Sir Pounce would always go up to her and rub his cheek on her back of her leg, Oh, and then jump up and, and rub it in and say, brow, 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 
and her, her, I don't know her name, but uh, because it's just, it's just I've heard this where the cats were talking, and she would oh, to Sir Pounce, brave Sir Pounce, there he is, the cat that needs some milky poo, and she would pour Sir Pounce a saucer of milk, and this was a normal occurrence, and then uh, one time, uh, 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 evil, evil, uh. High lord, almost a king named G G G G F, came into the. Ki- this is a made-up story, of course. Um, yeah, this better be made up. Or I forgot about the the punishment. Uh, they say you uh, you slander the king. I forgot what he said. What happened to me? I slander the king, lose a lung. Or I don't know. Uh, but so G F was his name, King G F. He was the king. You know, Horrible twisted land, long, long story, but he came in the kitchen. He said, hey, you wench, what are you doing wasting that milk on that cat? And uh, she said, well, it's a brave Sir Pounce. Brave Sir Pounce, he said. There's nothing brave about this cat. She said, well, he's the bravest cat that's ever lived, haven't you? You've never met Sir Pounce. He's also very sweet and kind, and he, he rubs... You waste milk, you'll take your, take that milk, you'll pay for it. I was, uh, she said, well, I, I don't even, uh, I, I just drink, you know, gray water, because I, that's all, you know, you allow us to drink. I haven't had milk since I was a baby. Uh, you'll never have milk again. I will make sure you'll, uh, and then he said, uh, Sir Pounce was frozen and, and staring at this boy. This boy King, Jif, and then Sir Pounce, in rebellion, looked down and licked more milk out of his bowl and looked at the king while he was doing it, slowly lapping it up. And the king said, well, we're going to see how brave this Sir Pounce really is. And he said, uh, um, this Bernard, St. Bernard, get in here. And his god, his god was this large man called Bernard. St. Bernard, they called him, after some giant dog. And he scooped, he said, get that cat, and we'll see how brave this cat is. And he scooped him up. He said, bring him to my chamber. And he said, well, he's just he's your brother's cat, sir. Hey, you question the king. I'll have you and her drowned in milk before you could say, what guy make me? Bring him to my chamber. And they brought, now, meanwhile, Timon, Timon, the, the cat's owner, was, uh, you know, soundly crying himself to sleep. And But this brave woman, whose name I don't even know, I have no idea what happened to her, she came up to his bedroom and she said, Timon, Timon. And I said, who, who are you? She said, I'm the one who feeds your cat milk because, you know, you know, you have to feed a cat milk and other foods. Well, Sir Pounce did not never ask for And she said, well, your cat's in a bit of trouble. Jif has taken your cat, Sir Pounce. And uh, he's captured him, and he's going to see how brave. And I said, well, I should hide in my, under my bed then, and everything will be fine. Sir Pounce, but she said, he won't be fine. And meanwhile, no, meanwhile, Timon was trying to figure out, but while that was happening, the Bernard carried Sir Pounce up to the Joff's chamber, and Sir Pounce... At first he struggled, but he knew this Bernard was strong. And he sensed some tension in this Bernard, like this isn't such a good idea, carrying a cat. For Sir Pounce 
was known to have vengeance against any anyone who messed with him or Timon, but also because this there was part of this Bernard that knew that messing with cats was just not uh, acceptable behavior, but he was beholden to this Jif. So he went up to and Jif came up to his chamber and he said, Bernard, bring me a fetch me all my chamber pots and fill this one with all my my chambers. And Bernard said, uh, well, I'm, a, I'm a god, I'm a warrior, not a, a, a chambermaid. And he said, well, you look like a chambermaid. Would you want to be my chambermaid? And so, so, so Bernard sighed, and then he filled up all the chamber pots into one chamber pot. And Sir Pounce was like, oh, boy, this is trouble now. What do I do? And Sir Pounce was like, he knew if he fought, he would be hurt. And as much as he wanted to lash out, now this Jif was too much of a coward to take Sir Pounce himself. But Bernard held the cat above uh, the thing, the chamber pot, Sir Pounce. Now Sir Pounce, uh, he was not uh, afraid. He, well, he was. He was like, I don't know. This is not going to be good. And But he did not fight. And then the the, uh, the king did not like that because he said, well, what? This cat's not, you're not going to fight? I thought you were a brave cat. Brave cats fight. And Spounce just stared at the boy king, and then he began to bathe himself, both instinctually in anticipation of being dunked in, in bathroom things, and also as a, another act of rebellion, staring at Jif. Now, meanwhile, Tom and the wrong woman was like, you have to save your cat. He'll be hurt by the Jif. And Thomas said, well, I, Timon, Timon said, well, I guess I, well, he is my best friend, and he's my only friend. Are you my friend? She said, no, I'm your servant, and I'll probably be beheaded in the morning, so run along and save your cat. And so I ran up outside of Jif's chamber, and Sir Sir Mar Merman was there, and he said, what do you want? And I said, is my cat in there, brave Sir Pounce? And he said, it's your cat, you fool. I don't know who's dumber, you or that cat. And then uh, I said, well, can I get in there? And he said, no, the king's busy, busy, busy business. Meanwhile, this king did not, wasn't getting the kicks because Sir Pounce was, he said, what is this? I'll give you something to bathe yourself. And uh, he said, Hound, I want you to uh, dunk him in that. And the Hound said, well, I'll drop him in there, but I'm not going to dunk my hand in there. And he said, well, drop him. And he tried to drop him, and Sir Pounce whipped out his full paws and landed on the edges of this nasty bowl pot, but it did not fall in. And he said, Bernard, grab him up again and, and get him ready and dunk him in. And he said, well, these are the gold gauntlets that the queen gave me. I don't know if I should be getting them dirty. And he said, well, then take off your gauntlet already. Now, meanwhile, outside is... As uh, Bernard was buying time or, or not, or he just didn't want to get his hands dirty, I was trying, and Sir Marmon, Marmon was like, oh, no, 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 you will not go in there. And then I said, I remembered, well, if I hold my breath, uh, that makes Mother freak out. And uh, But then, you know, usually she just has one of the, actually, Sir Marmon usually slaps me. Till I was, so I said, oh, oh. He said, don't hold your breath. I said, no, no, it's uh, my, my appendices. I remember reading about this appendices thing inside you that could, and I was always frightened I and wine would burst appendices. 
So I said, my appendices is bursa. And I started wailing and wailing and wailing. So much so that I actually did burst my appendices. And I had to spend many, many, you know, it's a whole nother story. And I, he said, oh, you're on fire. I, he said, stop faking. And I said, I was screaming. And like he said, you're screaming like a girl. And meanwhile, inside, Pounce knew and and they could hear me screaming. He said, what's that screaming? And he said, I want that cat dunked. And they opened the door and they saw me there. And he said, dunk the cat. Get up, Tom. Oh, it's him. And it was, everyone was yelling and I was screaming. And, and then uh, Bernard said, well, let me just check your brother there. He's on the ground. Before. I'll dunk the cat. Don't worry, your king, your grace. And he felt my head, and since my appendices actually burst, it filled me with fire, blood fire, they say. And I was very hot and sweaty and red, but I was breathing, so they didn't slap me. And uh, then they said, call the maester, call his mother, Reza. This is a bad thing. And uh, then they took me away, and uh, uh, Joff, he came over, and Jif, Jif, I mean, Jif, King Jif, from another land, he came over and, and... he was distracted by my, by writhing in pain on the floor, and I started crying. He said, "Look at him! He's crying," and he's called. He said, "Go get Lancel and the boys," and they gathered around while the maester tried to, tried to sedate me. They were all laughing, and then he, he, he said, "Here, drink this, drink this," and he tried to hand me a, you know, cup that he took from the, but uh, the maester said, "No, no water, no water. I have to operate or something." Some said, no water. And he said, no, no, this is mad- magical water. And as I commanded as the king. And then the maester said, I'll probably kill your brother. He said, well, it's, it's, no, it's magical. And mother, then mother came and she said, he said, no water. And then it was silent like that. And, and mother and the, or the, mother, you know, a woman, a mother woman. And they stared at each other, Jif and her. And then... So Pounce jumped out the window and ran off to live another day clean and wonderful. But Sir Pounce later told me, when he told me this tale, this the cat's tale about Tom and Tom, brave Tom and yes, yes, brave Tom and uh, they said, uh, he said, uh, they, he would have drowned me in there. I'm sure of it. Your brother's a madman. And, uh, you know, it was very brave of you to scream like a girl till your appendices blew. So thank you, Tom and Tim. And so that is the tale of of uh, the, the time Sir Pounce. It's hard with the confusing of the names. So don't tell Joff about this story because then he'll get it, he'll get mad and say, I'll burst your appendices, blah, blah. So, and that is another tale of brave Sir Pounce, the best friend a boy could ever have, and the boy who's best friends with a cat named Sir Pounce. Thank you. Chester, Barky, Miller, Smith, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. It's me, Prayernan, well, with an update on Project uh, Cat Aristotle. Aristotle, Aristotle Stevens, the cat gods. Aristotle Stevens, a.k.a. the cat, I think is what I was calling myself. And I just want to update you on my, my progress in capturing Aristotle and Cat Stevens, or like setting a trap for them, because in my total hum- humil- humbletude, total uh, walking this earth, only 
to do your multiple wills that sometimes are confusing. I have trouble, you know, because I have my own wills inside me. And anyway, guys, I was like, okay, what the plan was, as far as I could tell after our talk last week, was to start touring around doing some Cat Stevens and Aristotle in the, uh, you know, dining rooms and uh, common rooms of Westeros, right? And become so popular, stealing both Aristotle's knowledge and Cat Stevens' sweet tones to make the mad night come get me, and then I'd try. So that's the plan still, guys. Don't worry, I'm not changing the plan. Just uh, So I went to a couple open, uh, they don't call them, and, uh, back in my world, I guess you guys don't have to know my world, they call them open mic nights. Uh, the, 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 the nights I go, they call rot, rotten fruit and vegetable night, and it's a thing they do. Where you could go and perform if you think you if you think you want to be covered in um, rotten rotten stuff and humiliated, booed, jeered, and yelled at in a vis what was what do you call it? Karth, what is it called when it's carthetic? I don't know, gods. It's when you yell, you know, you you get it all out on somebody else. Well, I'm the I'm somebody else. Uh, Carthus catharsis, I think they call it. Um, so I did I did that a few times at different villages, and I'm uh, really popular on that night. They, you know, they some people must remember me or heard about me because they still call me goat goat. Goat lad or goat boy or the goat, and um, and and so I try a mistake, a learning learning moment. I did not just like when I tried when I came up with that idea from your inspirations. I didn't practice before. I just showed up. I said, you know, wing this. You know, I got this. The gods are with me. Chrome's gonna plant some knowledge of Aristotle in my brain. And I don't have a guitar yet from Barky and uh, Smith. It's probably on its way. So, so but you know, I got to do the God's will because I'm just a servant of the God's wills. You know, Miller's gonna mill up my voice, and Jester will. Uh, well, Jester, obviously, this was all your. Um, this was. I felt like a Jester in some sense. I was. Whatever's lower than a jester, like for common folk that can't afford their own jester, they come to these nights. So I tried doing some Aristotle and some Cat Stevens, and um, turns out they actually have stand-up comedians that are good. Uh, they don't call, they call them you know storytellers or funny people. Not me though. No, 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 no. So I tried to. So I had to get into some rehearsals, guys, because I tried. I said, you know. Uh, Hey everybody, how you doing? So I was like, you, anybody here from uh, the Narrow Sea? Oh yeah, why why are you so dry? And then okay, well I'm here to. Uh, my name is Aristotle Stevens. Some people call me the Cat, and some people call me after my cat. Some people call me Aristotle Stevens, and I'm here to lay some sweet tunes of of knowledge of logic, of uh, science, which you guys don't have here yet, but I'm, um, you know, metaphysics. I'm going to swirl it all around you in song. Now, normally I would have an instrument like that guy that just went, 
uh, who was very talented, by the way. I've never seen anybody play the uh, play the mandolin with their feet before, but that was great. And uh, so great job, guy. But uh, so I was gonna, you know, here's this song just goes out to the maiden. I wrote this one one cold night when I was all alone. Uh, I'm gonna hit it. Da 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 do do. Mana 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 mama new. And that's when the Boeing would normally start, gods. But I'll just keep it moving. Maiden, I'm singing. If you wanna be a goddess, I don't care. But you probably got long golden hair. And you probably got something nice to wear. Ooh, maiden, maiden, you're a bad girl. I'd like to give you a kiss in the mouth and give your tongue a swirl. And then I would get abuse from both sides, guys. There'd be people just yelling. Maiden worshippers would be blas- you know, yelling blasphemers. Then you get the f- people that were actually, where's the philosophy? Where's the logic? Um, uh, and I didn't even think of that because I just was like, bad planning, I guess, gods, is what I'm saying. And I said, ooh, maiden, maiden, you could be a good girl. But no, 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 no. But I know you rock my world. Boom. And they boo, boo me, and then I'd say, okay, wait, I got another one. Uh, this one goes out to uh, all the thinkers out there in the audience. You're going to have to think to get this cause real hard because I'm – I'm laying it on you straight from the uh, selective unconscious that hasn't even been invented yet. Um, And I don't even know. um, The first thought is the deepest. You know, I tried to think up what life was about. But I'm off key already, no doubt. The first thought is the deepest When it comes to being thinking I'm broke When it comes philosophy Aristotle Stevens is no joke The first And that that one just That ended that So I was like oh boy okay uh, Saturday night and I ain't got no maiden I need a maiden. And they said, you already, they must have been listening. It was like they knew. Uh, I was like, okay, um, oh, shoot. Cat Stevens songs, Father and Son. I, I don't even know that one. Wild World. Uh, oh, my God. Okay, wait a second. Okay, where is that? That was a sec. Oh, the cat's in the cradle in the thinking soon. Little boy blue is a man on the moon. What does that mean? You don't know yet, but it revolves around the earth. Revolves around the earth. And then I realized they were in Westeros. So now I'm like, oh, man, people were even silent there because they were like, what is he talking Is he talking about the Red Comet? And then I said, the Red Comet soon will be red. Circle in our planet and will we all be dead? We're all worried about, will the dragons come soon? Will they be born out of a dragon's womb? Or will they be born out of an egg because they're a lizard soon? And then I was like, wait a second, I kind of got them. And then I said, uh, I said, I wish I memorized, I wish I 
rehearsed. And I said, boom, bid, boom, bid, boom, boom, bid. I got a tale of another dragon yet. His name was Larry the Dragon Son. And he got put down by buns. I said, and then it went all downhill again, guys. So basically, in summary, uh, I, my, my instincts last week that I didn't follow through. What happened was I, I had gotten some Aristotle stuff, kind of, and I was like, had some Cat Stevens stuff, uh, you know, no no internet connection. I thought I had it on my phone, but I, you, never mind about the phone stuff. Uh, if, if Barky, man, you're killing me with your unreturning of stuff I give to you. Um but so I'm working on it is what I'm saying, God. So I'm going to rehearse uh, um, or at least like look up the Wikipedia articles and listen to some Cat Stevens songs about Aristotle. I'm going to drop some Nick Meekins and stuff like that. Or, you know, I get those three, the big three philosophizings mixed up. And we need to be so Western. Is that Are they from the West? I don't know, God's. So that's it. Uh, no news is, is is good news. The good news is, as covered in, you wouldn't believe how rotten potatoes could get, gods. I did not have any idea that a potato would become a mashed rotten potato and that it would explode on impact, covering you with a goo that is both um, glue-like and smells awful. Um Tomatoes, you know, God's gesture, you probably, I mean, you're probably there. The, t- the potatoes were particularly bad. When somebody hit me in the mouth with some sort of Westerosi fruit that I never even heard of, tasted like a beetle guts, I'd imagine they tasted like it could, that's what it could, could have just been a big beetle. Uh, but it's also smelled like it had gone bad a while ago. And I was like, what do you guys compost? Uh, and I didn't get that. I mean, whew, man, I'm trying to think any other. A lot of cabbage, a lot of cabbage, which hurts, and then it breaks open, and it's rotten on the inside. It was like a surprise on the inside, rotten cabbage full of full of strange uh, worm-like creatures who crawl on you and that you'll be sleeping with for weeks because, uh, you know, your hair, hair. Uh, but I'm building a name for myself, so that's all I think, guys. I'm building a rep. Uh, I've done this three times. People actually cheered the third time, and it seemed like they had a triple stock of rotten stuff. So, but is that maybe uh, if I rehearse, is the unforeseen um, road we're taking, God's in my prayeritude? Am I walking the talk that I don't, you know, that I'm making up as I go along for serves, you know, um, just is all for George R. R. Martin's benefit. Well, more for my benefit, so I don't get busted messing up his universe, de- you know, de-fictionalizing his fiction, or um, you know, mixing it up with stuff that doesn't belong there. Aristotle and Cat Stevens and myself are really the only ones left. I think did I let anybody else? Oh, the well, Mountain, but he's not in. I don't know where he is. He's on his way to New York City, possibly. Uh, to take out a, a float, a Macy's parade float. But uh, Ray said, uh, don't worry about it. I thought he, Ray would go after him. But he said, don't worry about the Gregor. He'll be fine. He's got to live his life. I don't know, something. I don't do imitations. 
All right, thanks, God. So that's it. No, no, you know, I'll be, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on this thing. So good night, gods. Good night, sweet maiden. If you heard that song, you probably sleep on that, you know. Uh, you want a couple more bars of it, maiden? Ooh, maiden, maiden, I'll make you a good girl. Oh, when I sing you songs and show you my world. Ooh, maiden, maiden, don't ignore me. Cause I got listeners that I'm just here to bore thee. No, 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 no. Sleep, 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 please. And don't wake up if you hear me sneeze. But so that's it, guys. All right, I'll talk to you.